What a beautiful invitation. But there are many times where I don't think it's for me. A lot of the times I feel like for me, my life is just a damn mess. And that invite is for somebody else who's got their act together. Even though I serve as a pastor, there's many times where I feel like I'm an imposter, like I snuck in without anybody noticing. And that invite, though beautiful, I wonder, is it for me? Maybe there are some of you here today who feel the same. But listen, the power of that invitation does not rest in those who have received the invite. The power of that invitation rests in the one who does the inviting. It's his table. We're just invited. But who is the one doing the inviting? That's really the question. Who is this Jesus? And there are many different answers that people give to that question. Some say he's a good teacher. Some say he's a religious leader. Some say he's a philosopher or a guru. But if Jesus is only those things, then there is no power. Moreover, there is no invitation for a dead religious leader can't invite you anywhere. A dead spiritual leader can't bring you into any relationship. A dead guru, a dead philosopher, the best that they could possibly do is give you some practical tips on how you can stave off all the effects of evil, pain, and suffering in this world. But if Jesus is more than that, if Jesus is more than just a religious teacher, if he's more than just a spiritual leader, if he's more than just a philosopher, well, that invitation will transform our lives. You see, Jesus calls us to his table. He invites us in not simply to be his followers. He invites us not simply to be his students, not simply to be those who learn from him. He comes, he comes to call all of us as his disciples into a relationship with him. You see, Jesus wants you to know him. And he wants you to see him as he truly is. And so my question for you this day is who do you say Jesus is? It's the most important question that you can ask and the way that you choose to answer will transform your life. Who do you say Jesus is? We're gonna explore that for some of our time together. In fact, I'm gonna ask our team to bring out some of the uh, uh, tools that we'll use for this sermon. This is such an amazing team. Would you guys give it up for our amazing worship and arts team? They do such a great job. Uh, by the way, this is just my table. This is not the table we've been singing about, so. We're gonna be in Mark chapter eight today. I invite you to turn there uh, with me. We'll be in Mark 8, verses 22 uh, through 30, I think it's through 33. 
This is a fascinating text. Now, I know that I say that all the time, right? And sometimes you've been like, fascinated for you, boring for me. I get that. But today, I want to invite you in to Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 33. And we're going to explore just that one thing, the reality that Jesus wants you to see him as he truly is, so that we may be able to answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? In fact, that's our question for today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 23. We'll take a look here up on the screen. At this point in time, uh, Jesus has been doing ministry around the particular region that he served in. And uh, we'll find here that he uh, took a blind... So this blind man is brought to Jesus. And it says here that he took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. So he takes the blind man away. Now, TV time out. Uh, There's some weird stuff here. And if you hear any weird stuff, uh, maybe just even in this, just this next text, you could say out loud, uh, that's weird, okay? You just, have a, you just get one time, you're going to do that one time. We're not going to do that the whole sermon, just this one time maybe, maybe we'll do another one. Uh, so if I say anything weird, you just say out loud, uh, only one time, uh, that's weird. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Uh, spitting on his eyes. You're right, that is weird. Okay, let's keep going. And laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, and they look like trees walking. Now I'm going to give you a second pass. That's weird. Now, at this moment, Jesus heals this man kind of, right? I mean, is that weird to you? I mean, here's Jesus. He's literally raised people from the dead. You'll remember that back in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark. He brought a little girl back to life. And here, you mean to tell me that he has to do a mulligan? Like he's got to do a do-over in order to heal this guy? Now, what's going on here? Now, one of the things that I'd like for us to consider is this. There were thousands of possible miracles that Jesus could have done, but he chose not to. Which means that the miracles that Jesus did and the miracles that are recorded for us, they're for a purpose. There's a reason behind them. Moreover, some would argue, including me, that every miracle is meant to teach us something about ourselves or about Jesus. And again, we're asking the question, who do we say Jesus is? And so we might want to zoom in here and have a look because this is a bit weird. He says, do you see? He says, yeah, kind of. I see people walking around like trees. Now, one of the things I'd also like you to note is this. Why was this man brought to Jesus? Why did this man enter into a relationship with Jesus? He was blind, and he wanted what? He had a point of pain in his life. And that pain had so shaped his life, that one pain point was his life. In fact, if you'll notice, he's identified by his brokenness. It doesn't say Jim who was blind. What does it say? The blind man. There are many of us who are here today who never thought we'd step foot in a church. I know exactly how you feel. I came to know the Lord here at this church. And the thing that brought me, the thing that drove me to even giving Jesus a fair hearing was pain and brokenness in my life. 
One of the things that we say around here at Desert Springs is, generally speaking, it's not parties that drive people to church for the first time. I've never met anyone so far who said, my life is going so well, I'd like to come to know more about this God character. It's usually, I've tried everything I possibly could, and we're going to give this Jesus a shot. There are many of you who are here today who are giving Jesus a shot. You're saying, maybe this Jesus can help me. I don't have anywhere else to turn, and I want you to know I'm so glad you're here. I want you also to know this. I can't help you. The person sitting next to you cannot help you. But Jesus, Jesus invites you to his table. And there is healing at the table of the Lord. He takes the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village, spitting on his eyes and laying on his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people and they look like trees walking. Let's go to see what happens in the next verse. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, remember we said that there are miracles that teach something, right? That, that in fact, it may well be that every miracle is meant to teach us something. You remember? Oh, oh friends. I'm up here working, I'm trying. Do you guys remember? And we'd say, well, I mean, it was five minutes ago. Okay, so uh, take a look at what happens next. This is a little strange. Let's go to what, uh, the next verse. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Now, this is one thing that comes up a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus will do a healing, he'll do a miracle, and then he'll tell people, don't tell anybody. Don't go back to the village and tell people. And for most of us, especially in a, uh, a selfie uh, society, we would think that every time Jesus did a miracle, he'd want to get the message out like he's like. <laughs> but here Jesus pulls the man aside. And in a very intimate way, and, and again, I, it's weird. He spits on his hands. You've got to deal with that. Spits. And he spits on him. And in a very intimate way, I, I can imagine him, I think this is one of the reasons why we have that spitting thing here, is because we're very close now, aren't we? Put yourself in the blind man's shoes. Jesus is not far off. You see, he invites him to the table. And he's right there with him. And he takes him, and he touches his eyes. Very close. And then he heals the man. The first time he heals him and he says, I, I kind of can see, I can kind of see, I kind of see people walking around like trees. And then he does it again. And he says, I see clearly. And then Jesus says, don't tell anybody. What? Why does he do that? Jesus consistently does this in the Gospel of Mark because he wants those who are following him to avoid misunderstanding him. He wants that are those that are following him to see who he is clearly because every single one of us, as well as those who followed him, run, uh, uh, exist in a world where we are tempted to make Jesus in our own image. Hmm? You see, there are many of us who say things like, you might say God is like this, but I prefer to think of God as. You might say God is this way, but I prefer to think of God as this way. In fact, there are some who will say, 
It doesn't matter how you view God so long as you have a belief in God. But I just, I want to push on that. I know that that sounds really courteous and really um, uh, uh, long-suffering and and really compassionate, but I, I want you to know that you would hate it if people treated you that way. Here's what I mean to say. If God is an actual person, which, like, spoiler alert, God is an actual person, like with actual character and actual desires and actual values, if God actually is, just like you actually are, then you don't get to say, I prefer to think of God as. Because you would hate it if people did that to you. Uh, let, me, let me try this. Um, if I sat with my wife, and uh, perhaps it was when we were dating, and I sit with her and she, and she says, you know what I love? I say, what's that, honey bunny? <laughs> she says, uh, I love Broadway. And she says, I love country music. She says, I love Disney. Mm. Three things that I did not before we got married uh, care (laughs) to participate in. And if I took her by the hand, I said, Snookums, I'm hearing you. But I prefer to think of you as a Dallas Cowboys fan who wants me to have a 1991 Bronco with the top off and grow his hair out into a mullet with a Metallica t-shirt. That's what I prefer to think of you as. Now, right, friends? Okay, thank you. You feel my pain. You guys know. Now, how would she feel? Would she feel loved? Would she feel insulted? Who am I to say who you are? You are regardless of how I want to think of you as. And so if I say, you know, Jesus says he's all these things, but I prefer to think of him as, and then I make him into my own image, not only is it insulting, it will never transform my life. If your God never contradicts you, you'll find no transformative power in that God because it's a God of your own making which will die when you do. And so Jesus here, he's guarding against those who are following him from making him into their own image. He's trying to avoid them imagining him as they want him to be as opposed to how he actually is. And I'm gonna prove it to you as we continue on in the text. We'll continue on in verse 27. Jesus went out with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Have you heard that question before? We started the whole sermon with the question, who do you say Jesus is? Have you heard this question before? Okay, you guys are with me. Let's keep it up. Who do people say that I am? Now, Jesus asks those who follow him this question. Who do people say that I am? And here are some options. They answered him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others say one of the prophets. Jesus, there are many people who say you're like this. Jesus, there are many people who say you're like this. You're John the Baptist. You're Elijah. You're one of the prophets. Because we have the temptation to imagine Jesus as we want him to be, not as he truly is. Now, let's continue on. 
But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell who? The whole world. What does it say? To tell no one. Here we're back to that whole, like, here's a big revelation about me. Now, shh. Why is he consistently being, uh, is he being coy? He seems to be being cautious about who's going to know. Now, a couple of things. What does Peter mean when he says, you are the Messiah? And this is the point of it. That Messiah, it's another, word, uh, another way to say the promised one, the anointed one, the, the Savior, the one who's going to save us all. You see, Peter understood that there's a story of the cosmos. Have you heard the story of the cosmos? I'd like to tell you the story of the cosmos. It's in four parts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created something out of nothing. And the crowning glory of all his creation was people. Male and female, he made them in the image, Genesis 1 says this, in the image and likeness of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the image and likeness of God. And he created people for relationship with him. But Genesis 3 tells us this, that people rebelled against God. We took God off the throne of our hearts and we placed ourselves on the throne of our hearts. This is the fundamental nature of sin. You see, uh, one theologian says it like this. Have you guys ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Okay, so uh, one of the theologians says, in order to break any of the commandments, you always have to break the first one first. And the first one is this. You shall have no other gods before me. Every sin is actually the presenting problem of a deeper sin of idolatry. And that idolatry, making ourselves, uh, putting ourselves into the position of God, will corrupt us from the inside out, will destroy society, and will beget much of the pain and chaos that you see in the world today. This is why he's given the command. And because of that rebellion, God had some options. His two major options were, number one, he could put on the Metallica album and kill them all. Where were my boys earlier? I heard some shouting about Metallica earlier. Where are we at? Okay, we're going to try that again. We're going to try that again. You could have put on the Metallica album and killed them all. Okay, Ride the Lightning was a better album, though. So he chose not to do that. Praise God he chose not to do that. Instead, in his infinite mercy and grace, he chose not to condemn the cosmos, but to redeem the cosmos. Creation, fall, redemption. 2,000 years ago in space-time history, God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and dying on a Roman cross at the hands of his own creation, he said, Father, forgive them. And that forgiveness was possible because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross so that God's justice might be meted out so that God doesn't sweep that injustice under the rug. No, God cares infinitely about justice because God is eternally just. But the wrath that is poured out against evil is poured out onto Christ because Jesus offers to us amazing grace. 
creation, fall, redemption, before Jesus ascended into heaven, after rising from the grave on that first Easter morning, conquering over Satan, sin, and death, Jesus said, one day I will return and I will restore all that which is broken. I will make it whole again. And we as a church are bound together in light of the truth accomplished for us 2,000 years past and await the coming restoration that is promised to us. And in the meantime, we invite all to the table. That's the story of the cosmos, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Now, Peter knew the first two parts of that story, creation, fall. And he had in his mind a distorted version or a distorted understanding of what it looks like to have redemption. You see, he knew that there was a Messiah, a promised one coming who would restore all that which is broken. But in Peter's mind and in many of those who followed Jesus' mind, they thought the way that God was going to bring about ultimate, true peace and flourishing was by giving everyone in their nation a sword and then marching to kick out the Romans. Now, at the time, the Roman Empire uh, was occupying Jerusalem. And many of Jesus' followers who were Jewish thought that the Messiah was going to ride into the city, pull out a sword, and slay Caesar. This is likely one of the reasons why Jesus was constantly saying, shh, because I don't want people to go start grabbing swords. They need to see. They need to see how the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in. They need to see it. They need to see me on a cross. They need to see the resurrection. This is likely why Jesus consistently says, don't tell nobody. What's interesting, when Jesus is in non-Jewish territory, especially in the Gospel of Mark, most of the time he says, yeah, go and tell everybody. Because they weren't running the risk of a military coup. You with me so far? Remember that blind man thing? Okay. At the beginning, Jesus heals him once, and he kind of sees. Do you remember that? He says, I I kind of see people walking along like trees. It may be that that miracle was to show us that at this moment, Jesus' disciples and many of us kind of understand who Jesus is. We kind of see who Jesus is, but we're still making him into our own image. We're still imagining him as we want him to be, not how he truly is. You see, they heard Jesus pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the temptation is to say, and the way we're going to make your kingdom come is we're going to kill all the bad guys. The problem is, is when you start killing all the bad guys, your name's also on the list if you push it far enough. Now, there are many of us who say, yeah, Caleb, I I hear that. I hear Jesus was a bringer of peace. I hear Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers. But there are many today who claim to follow Jesus, who do violence and great injustice. And you're absolutely right. And this is what Jesus was trying to protect us from. There are many people who see Jesus unclearly, and they make Jesus into their own image. And there are many more who will invoke Jesus' name for power. Joseph Coney is known and is infamous around the world for abducting thousands of children, turning them into child soldiers and sex slaves. 
And I'll just read a little bit from a BBC article. When you go to fight, you make the sign of the cross first. If you fail to do this, you will be killed. One of the young fighters who escaped told the US-based Human Rights Watch. So here's Joseph Coney telling his child soldiers, if you wanna be safe, make the mark of the cross. You must take oil and draw a cross on your chest and on your forehead and on each soldier. You must make a cross and oil on your gun. They say that the oil is the power of the Holy Spirit. Mr. Coney, who by the way, did much of this injustice in Uganda and Sudan. Mr. Coney has described himself as a freedom fighter, but has been accused of being responsible for the deaths of thousands of people. He uses biblical references to explain why it is necessary to kill. That's corrupt. That's evil. But it's in the Lord's name. In fact, Coney's organization is called the Lord's Resistance Army. You see, when we don't see Jesus for who he is, we have a tendency to make Jesus into our own image, and generally speaking, when we choose to do that, we leverage Jesus for our own ends. Now, Coney is now on the run. He's still wanted but his army is diminished. But that does not mean that there are not people around the world who are using Jesus' name to garner power. And it's not just in politics and military. And I'm gonna, we're gonna do this next bit. And this is one of those times where I say, if you're the praying type, pray for your pastor. I feel lost here. And I feel a deep sense of pain. And so if I inadvertently hurt you or trample in any way, I want you to know that is not my intent. But there are those who will invoke Jesus' name to molest, to sexually abuse, to rape, I am struck by how many. I spent some time after reading an article by Beth Moore. She's a theologian, an author, and a speaker. I think she's Baptist, but we won't hold that against her. I, I say this just to give you a sense of how deep this is. Beth, I believe, is in her 60s. And there's a, uh, a thread of postings going around called Why I Didn't Report. Some of us may be familiar with why this is coming up. Listen, I need you to hear me on this. Like, I don't care where your politics is. If this doesn't break your heart. Why I didn't report. Beth said this publicly. Because he lived in my house. Now the hashtag is speaking about why I didn't report sexual abuse when it happened to me. Why I didn't report? Because he lived in my house. Another from someone who I follow. 
Why I didn't report? He was my youth pastor. Still another, why I didn't report? (laughs) Was because after, he and I knelt by the bed so I could pray for forgiveness for what I had done as an eight-year-old. Using Jesus' name to justify evil ends is evil. And Jesus is screaming at us. You've got to see me for who I am, not for who you imagine me to be. For if you live your life simply following me as you imagine me to be, you will not find flourishing, you will not find healing, you will not find peace, and moreover, you may actually propagate evil in this world. Who do you say Jesus is? This is so important and so transformative. And by the way, I'm so thankful for the ministries of Mending the Soul and Celebrate Recovery here at Desert Springs. As a church, these are not just things we want to talk about. If my bringing this up has brought something to the surface from you in the back of the seat in front of you, and you can, you can grab it now, you can grab it later, you can grab it subtly, in the back of the seat in front of you is a ministry guide. In that ministry guide is information on Celebrate Recovery and Mending the Soul. And I would encourage you, maybe the Lord's bringing something to your mind now, that there's healing at the table of the Lord. There is healing. And as a church family, we want to be ministers to you to the best of our ability. And I love our Mending the Soul ministry. And I would just encourage you, it's, it's, a, it's as confidential as we can have it be. The people that you contact don't work. Uh, gen- they're not on our pastoral staff, uh, aside from those who are trained to engage with you in this. It's kept confidential. I want to encourage you towards that end. Jesus wants you to see him as he truly is. And that can sometimes blow our minds. Take a look at what happens next in the text. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, to be killed and to rise after three days. And of course, for us, looking back on it, that's good news because we see the resurrection as proven fact. But for a disciple who wants him to take up a sword and slay all of his enemies, for a disciple who who wants to worship Jesus as I imagine him to be, this is frustrating. In fact, it's so frustrating that Peter says this. Take a look at the next verse. Well, that's the other part. Okay. He spoke openly about this, and Peter took him aside. Now watch this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now that's a little embarrassing for Peter. I could just imagine, like, after the fact, he's like, man, what was I thinking? Like, could you imagine you hearing Jesus and being like, JC, come over here right quick. Hey, man, don't say that kind of stuff again. You're wrong. Like, this guy brought people back from the dead. You're telling him you're going to rebuke him? Do you see how strong of a temptation it is to make Jesus into our own image? to imagine him as we want to imagine him, to worship him as we want him to be, not as who he actually is. Hmm. He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You guys think Eminem is dropping some heat right now? Look at this. He rebuked him and said, get behind me. Did you guys ever watch Saturday Night Live with Dana Carvey? Okay. Uh, He had this character called the church lady, and every time something bad would happen, he'd say, could it be... Satan? I imagine it happening kind of like that. Get behind me, Satan. Now watch this. 
You are not thinking about God's concerns, but what? You're making me into your own image. You're imagining me as you want to imagine me. You're not accepting me for who I truly am. You want me to be a military leader, but I'm the king and creator of the universe who's taken on flesh, and I'm going to die at the hands of my enemies so I can redeem humanity and you. Jesus invites you to the table, but he wants you to see him as he truly is. Can we go back one slide? One more. What type of a savior is Jesus? Jesus is the type of savior who associates himself with his own creation. Notice the title he gives to himself, son of what? Son of mankind. To suffer many things and to be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, to be killed and to rise after three days. Jesus takes and redeems the world. He ushers in his kingdom, not with swords, but with nails. See, there is healing at the table of the Lord. And there's peace at the table of the Lord. And there's freedom at the table of the Lord. And he says, come just as you are to that table. And the means, the way that he has allowed for that to happen is by giving his life for you. There's no such thing as cleaning, cleaning up your act enough to be invited. You're invited. Thieves, murderers, rapists, they're invited. Greedy, slanderers, adulterers, invited. For there is no sin too great that is not washed by the blood of Jesus. That's why we sing, all my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday is gone. All my sins are forgiven and I, have been washed by the blood, by the blood of Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus wants you to see him as he truly is. There are many of us who are here today who are angry with God because he won't fix my idols. There are many of us who are here today that are angry with God that he won't do what I want because I went to church once or twice last year and I prayed and I did the work and you owe me health. How dare you give me cancer? How dare you let me be jobless? How dare you allow fractures in my family? I did the work. And you owe me, but friends, you are making God into your own image. You are imagining him as if he is the IRS and you've paid your taxes and he owes you. But he is the king and creator of the universe who stands victorious over Satan's sin and death. You don't get to invite him into your life. He invites you into his. He's not some product, not some spiritual package, not some sort of balm that you apply to your idols in your life so you can move on with an easy life. He's the king and creator of the universe who's given his life for you, and he says, come and be my disciple. Amen. And by the way, if you think that following Jesus is easy, I want to encourage you in this. It's not. It's frequently frustrating. Jesus will oftentimes bring us closer to evil 
He will make us more aware of the evil and brokenness around us and the evil in our own hearts. The path of Jesus is the path of a cross. But it is the only table that you will find peace and healing and grace amazing. You see, we, like the blind man, oftentimes are somewhat seeing Jesus, but we see him distorted with our own imagination of who he is. But he wants you to come and know him deeply. Real relationship with the king and creator of the universe. There are some of us who have not yet relinquished our lives to Jesus. I wanna encourage you in this. There is not, uh, one theologian says it like this, there is not one square inch in the universe that Jesus does not point to and say, that's mine. You don't get to make Jesus Lord of your life. He is the Lord. It's just whether or not you're gonna recognize it or not. Be in rebellion or be at peace with him. There are many of us who are here today who are still keeping Jesus in a box. Oh, we've been doing the church time. We've been doing the discipleship game. We've been singing. We've been praying. We've been hearing from God's word. We've been tithing. But there's an area of our life that we're hiding from Jesus. TV time out. You're not doing any good hiding it from Jesus. Remember the whole square inch of the universe thing? He's already claimed dominion over that area of your life. You just haven't relinquished it yet. Now, he already loves you. He's already forgiven you. He's already saved you if you've repented from your sins and turned to him. As his disciple, though, he still calls you into a deeper relationship, but that means saying, okay. Okay, this is yours now. Still others of us are still trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out. Perhaps a brokenness brought us here and we're just wondering. I want to encourage you in this. Jesus wants you to see him as he truly is. And as a church, we want to help. We've got some next steps that I want to encourage you on. The first is to discover Jesus. If you're still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing, or maybe you say, I want to follow Jesus, what does that mean? We want to help you. If you visit the Direct and Connect today, just go out through these doors off to the left-hand side and just say, I, I would like to meet with a coach. I just want to meet with somebody. Uh, I don't know all the answers. I'm frustrated about these questions. Uh, maybe does being a Christian mean I have to do this or that? Real quick, TV timeout. <clears throat> One of the biggest questions I hear is, do I have to become a Republican if I'm a Christian? <laughs> no. Jesus wasn't a Republican, as it turns out. Um, no. Do I have to like country music if I become a Christian? No. Praise Jesus for that. <laughs> but we got questions. We want to know what would it look like for me if I, if I were to follow Jesus as one of his disciples. Or maybe I still, I'm just so frustrated with these questions or just want to talk to someone. Visit Direct and Connect after the service and just say, hey, I'd like to meet with a coach. And they would connect you with somebody from our church family. Uh, there's no strings attached. It's, it's not, I know it feels super threatening, but they're not gonna give you a hard sell. There's no like contract or newsletter you have to sign. It literally, it's just grabbing a coffee, grabbing a beer with somebody and saying, help me understand what it means to follow Jesus. And they would love the opportunity to help you do that. Because one of the most important questions that we can ask is this, who do you say Jesus is? And the way that you answer it will transform your life. Now there are many of us here who 
have followed Jesus and we're striving to live as one of his disciples. And here's an encouragement I would have for you. We wanna help you share your story. One of the things that Jesus consistently does with his disciples is he says, you go and tell. You go and tell. You, as my disciples, you go and tell. You go and tell. And we want to help you do that to the best of our ability. Over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be talking more about this uh, as a church family. So if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you're still trying to figure the whole Jesus thing out, I'm going to yell at the Christians here for a minute. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, As a church family, uh, we, we are going to strive to be better about sharing this good news with those that God's placed in our lives. As we think about our corporate mission field here in North Phoenix, and as we as individuals think about our individual mission fields. If you don't think that you live in a mission field, I'm going to uh, tell you right now, you do. You're going to drive back through it today. And tomorrow, for those of us that are in the workplace, you're going to be paid to be there. And for those of us who are dreading the holidays because of certain family members, being in a mission field ain't easy. Jesus has placed you in the lives of people who need to hear, come just as you are to the table. There's a few ways that we can do that and help each other do that. One is just to tell your story. If you visit that website, uh, dsbc.church slash mystory, we're going to be uh, uh, beginning a phase here at Desert Springs where we're collecting stories. I love hearing how Jesus has been at work in your life. And so that'll mean things like videos or letters or just written encouragement. And so if you're interested in telling your story, we would love to hear your story. And we're going to be talking more about what it means to share our story uh, here in our community. Here's something else. Uh, In the back of the seat in front of you is a prayer card. I'm gonna ask that you guys would all take one of those. If you would just, even if you're not gonna use it and throw it away, make it a paper airplane. If you would just take one of those prayer cards for me. Then there should be some pens there. And so, so there's just, just two things. I'm asking everybody to do this, even, even if you don't want to do it and you're not gonna do it. If you would just fake it so that this could, you know, so the people around you won't get weird. Um, for those of you that are still trying to figure the whole Jesus thing out, I'm gonna encourage you to write down this question. Who do I think Jesus is? And then I want you to take a huge risk. I want you to pray. You, you don't know that God exists. You're not so sure. I just want you to take a risk. Take a chance. Say, God, if you're there, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you show yourself? Would you help me to answer this question? Who do I think Jesus is? For answer, how you answer that question will transform your life. Number two, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, maybe you, 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 you know the answer. You know who Jesus is, and increasingly he's becoming more and more prevalent in your life. Uh, but there are people in your lives, in your mission field, that don't know Jesus yet. I want you to spend some time, just as we close out the service today, thinking about those people, maybe even praying through those people. Maybe the Lord will bring someone to mind. And just, I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. I'm gonna ask that you would write their name down. I'm gonna ask that you would fold that up just before we end today. Put it in your pocket. If you want to, you can take a picture of it as a reminder that when you get home, when you go into work tomorrow, when you wake up, to pray, Lord, I want this person. 
to be invited to the table. Equip me, empower me, embolden me to extend that invitation. If Jesus has transformed your life, would you share that with someone? It can be something as easy as, hey, are you doing anything Sunday morning? Do you want to go to church? I, I kind of like it, except the pastor makes fun of country music all the time. It's super frustrating. Or it can be something more involved, like we've, we've known each other for a few years, and I just want to tell you about this, this piece of my life that maybe we haven't talked about before. There's no pressure. There's no, there, there's, no, there's no sales pitch. I just want you to know that you're invited to the table.